wanted to mention that uh, I really appreciate what Curtis did last week. He preached in my absence. I was up in Durango on the couples retreat. And we had a great time up there. Doug, if you want to go ahead and bring up the first picture, we can show everybody how good of a time we really had. Yeah, that's the kind of time we had up there. No, not really. We didn't have that kind of good time. Um, but it was a fun picture to do anyway, and I just thought it fit in today. Who will rescue? Definitely that guy needs rescue, and we'll talk about that today. I hope you have been lifting someone up this week, the challenge that Curtis gave each one of us last week. I hope you identified at least one person, and in ways obvious or not so obvious, you've been working to lift them up, and I appreciate you doing that Uh, If you'll pay attention at the end of the sermon today, we'll have our challenge for this coming week. It's challenge number eight, so please pay attention to that and be ready to accept that challenge. Well, today we're continuing our journey through the book of Romans. Today we'll be in Romans chapter 7. This would be a great time for you to grab your Bibles and turn there. Romans chapter 7. As we've been saying, Romans is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote this letter, he never lost sight of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul never let his focus go away from the power of the gospel. Now Paul knew that the gospel isn't just a series of events that happened at some time. It's also, and more importantly, the story of a loving God who acted powerfully and compassionately and mercifully to rescue the hopeless and to free the enslaved. And for Paul, this isn't just a story. This is a personal story. The gospel is personal to Paul because Paul was rescued and Paul was free. See, Paul never lost sight of what God had done for him. And because of that, Paul became a walking and talking personal testimony to the power of the gospel. And that's why early in Paul's letter, he wrote this. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And today we're here knowing that we're no different. As Christians, we're just like Paul. We should be able to identify with Paul because like Paul, we've been rescued out of our hopelessness and helplessness. And like Paul, we've been freed from our enslavement to sin. So we too should be walking, talking, testimonies to the power of the gospel. And like Paul, we shouldn't hesitate to stand up and speak up and affirm the power of the gospel. And so once more, I'm going to ask you to do that today, here this morning. With one little change, I'm going to ask you to actually stand up. And I'm going to ask you to speak up. And I'm going to ask you to affirm the power of the gospel. So go ahead, stand up. I know we usually do this at the end, but we're going to do it at the beginning And maybe it makes us a little uncomfortable, but that fits in within our theme. If you would, repeat after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. 
And all the church says, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as we look at the seventh chapter of Romans, it is a very personal chapter. In fact, Paul is so personal and so confessional in this chapter that it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people would rather Paul not admit that he has struggles. A lot of people would rather Paul not confess that he has weaknesses. After all, if Paul has struggles and Paul has weaknesses, what hope can there possibly be for someone like me? But that's exactly Paul's point. See, Paul knows that his hope doesn't come from his strength. He knows that his hope doesn't come from his knowledge. He knows that his hope doesn't come from perfection. No, his hope comes from God's strength. And his hope comes from Jesus Christ's perfection. Paul's hope isn't in himself. Paul's hope is in the gospel. And so in this chapter, Paul invites us to identify with him. And to identify with his struggles and identify with his weaknesses. Paul gets very personal. And this is an important story to us because Paul's story is our story. Paul is one of us. So as we read chapter 7, we're going to hear Paul tell about some very familiar struggles. And those struggles are very familiar to us because Paul's struggles are our struggles. And as we hear those familiar struggles, we're going to hear Paul encourage us to get personal. In fact, we're going to hear Paul encourage us to cry out to our God, to cry out to our God in frustration, to cry out to our God in helplessness, and finally to cry out to God in great joy. We're going to hear Paul invite us to do that as he does it himself, because that's what we're going to hear Paul do. We're going to hear Paul cry out in frustration, and then we're going to hear Paul cry out in his helplessness. And we're going to hear Paul cry out in his great joy. And since Paul's story is our story, and since his struggles are our struggles, his cries should become our cries. So let's listen to Paul get personal. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. 
But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. That's pretty personal, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but Paul isn't just speaking to me. Paul is speaking for me. Paul's story is very much my story. Paul's struggles are very much my struggles. You see, it turns out that dying to sin and dying to the law are a lot harder than it sounds. turns out that it's not easy to leave the old self behind. It turns out that it's not easy to leave the old master in the past. We find out that we don't come out of the water of baptism to never struggle again. And after I listen to Paul's struggles, and after you listen to Paul's struggles, we should all walk away knowing that if Paul struggled not to sin, if Paul struggled to die to sin, we should certainly expect to struggle too. His story is our story. And part of this shared story that we have with Paul is this complicated relationship we have with law and sin. Paul is very quick to point out that the law isn't sin. In fact, he says the law is good. The law is spiritual. The law is holy. But when God's good and spiritual and holy law interact with my sinful nature, some really interesting things happen. Some of those things are good, and some of those things are really dangerous. And one of the good and necessary things that the law does for us is it reveals sin. The law identifies sin. Without God's law, we can rationalize all kinds of behaviors as being acceptable, can't we? But when God says, you shall not lie, our lies, even our white lies are revealed, they're identified as sin. When God says you should honor your parents, 
then we know that our dishonoring words and our dishonoring actions, even when they're said or done out of anger or done out of frustration, those are revealed, they're identified as sin. The law identifies sin, and that's a good thing. We need to know right from wrong. But something else happens. Something else occurs. Unfortunately, when the law is combined with our sinful natures, sometimes sin is also activated. The law activates sin. We know how that works, right? We often don't discover that we want to do something until we're told that we can't do something, right? I had no desire to walk across your lawn until you put up that sign that said, stay off the grass. I had no desire to go into your building until you put up that sign that said, do not enter. See, God's good and spiritual law in the hands of our sinful nature leads us down some similar paths, some dangerous paths. We share those struggles, don't we? We want to say what we've been told not to say. We want to eat what we've been told not to eat. We want to touch what we've been told not to touch. We want to possess what we've been told not to possess. We want to go where we've been told not to go. And the law oftentimes interacting with our sinful nature activates sin. And it's not the law that's bad. It's not the law that kills. It's the sin that brings death. But sin oftentimes uses the law as its weapon. Remember, Paul put it this way. He said, the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Sin kills. And because of our perverse natures, it's able to use the good and holy and spiritual law as its weapon to activate sin. There's something else about the law. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know just how sinful we really are. We wouldn't know how perverse we really are. It's the existence of the law. It's our knowledge of the law that brings us to the recognition of the magnitude of our own sin. It's what causes us to look at the law and then look at ourselves and realize, right along with Paul, just how messed up we really are. It's what causes us, along with Paul, to recognize we aren't who we want to be. And we don't do what we want to do. We recognize that we aren't who we are called to be. And we don't do what we are always called to do. And you know, that wouldn't be a struggle. That wouldn't cause us any anguish. It wouldn't cause us to cry out to God if we didn't care. But we do care. It's like Paul, we're Christians and we care. We're people who love God. We're people who want to do what he's called us to do. Who want to be what he's called us to be. But we're also people who look at our hearts and look at our lives and look at our actions and see that we are a mess. We aren't who we are called to be. 
And so when we look at ourselves, we, like Paul, wonder. We wonder if, if we are people who love God, if we're people who long to please God, and we are people who love God and long to please Him, then why do we struggle? Why do we struggle to obey Him? So Paul's words are our words when he cries out, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. We wonder, right along with Paul, we wonder. We wonder, now that we have this new identity, this new identity as slaves of the living God, why do we continue to do what that new identity doesn't want to do? Why does our old identity as slaves of sin, why does that seem to still have so much control over our lives? Once more, Paul's words are our words. As Paul cries out and says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So we wonder and we question right along with Paul. We wonder if I have a new master and I do have a new master. Why is it that part of me delights in my new master's law? While another part of me wages war against that same law. Once more Paul's words are our words as he cries out. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul takes us to a dark place. Paul takes us with him to a dark, but also very familiar place. It's familiar because Paul's story is our story, and Paul's words are our words, and Paul's anguish is our anguish, and so Paul's cries are our cries. Paul goes to this dark place, and Paul takes us with him to this dark place because it's important that he goes there, and it's important that we all go there. So we have to go to this dark place before we can recognize the light. We have to first experience our defeat. We have to first experience our helplessness and our hopelessness before we can celebrate God's victory. Paul takes us to a dark place. And as Paul closes this chapter, as he takes us into this dark place, we hear Paul cry out in frustration. We hear Paul's frustration of not being who he wants to be and not doing what he wants to do. Paul's looked at himself. He's examined himself. He's looked at his heart. He's looked at his action and Paul cries out in verse 24, What a wretched man I am. 
And if we've identified with Paul like we should identify with Paul, if we have made Paul's story our story like we should, if we have followed Paul into that dark place like we should follow, that must also be our cry. Oh, what a wretched person I am. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate to do. And that sense of frustration must then take us to the truth of our helplessness. Along with Paul, we have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. We can't do it our own, no matter how hard we try. No matter how much we know, we can't do it on our own. We are helpless. So we too should cry out with Paul. Who will rescue me from this body of death? You see, it's only when we recognize, and it's only when we admit our helplessness that we're able to recognize and admit that we need a rescuer. Who will rescue me? And that's when Paul takes us from this very dark place right into the glorious light of the gospel. Because there's an answer to Paul's question. Who will rescue me in joy, Paul answers. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's God who rescues me. So Paul's joy should be our joy. Who rescues us from our sin? Who rescues us from our frustration? Who rescues us from our helplessness? Who rescues us from our darkness? Thanks be to God, he rescues us. Rescues us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So by all means, let's go to that dark place with Paul. And let's cry out to God in our frustration, what wretched people we are. Let's cry out to God in our helplessness, who will rescue us? By all means, let's go to that dark place. But let's live in the light of the good news of Jesus Christ as we cry out in joy. Thanks be to God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. No wonder Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Now, Father, we are not ashamed of the gospel. Father, sometimes we're ashamed of ourselves as we examine ourselves. Father, as we recognize that we do what we don't want to do. And Father, we don't do what we're called to do. Father, when we recognize that we aren't who we're called to be. But God, you have given us a rescuer. You have sent your son, Father, to rescue us in our helplessness, to rescue us in our darkness. 
So, Father, help us to turn to you and help us to turn to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to always be your obedient children, to respond to you in love for what you have done for us. Thanks be to you, for you have provided us with salvation. You have provided us with rescue. You have provided us with a Savior. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to end today. We've got some more good news. I know that there's going to be at least one baptism today. Um, And it occurs to me as we're talking about rescuers. If your heart is crying out, who will rescue me? God's already provided the answer. He's provided Jesus Christ. If your heart is crying out, who will rescue me? You know that you need rescuing. We invite you to come forward as we sing this song and meet Jesus Christ, your rescuer in the water of baptism. Won't you come forward as we stand and we sing?